I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Villander, and you are listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. We've dispensed with our squeaking hard court shoes, we've put on our sliding clay court shoes, and we're ready to get a little bit dirty on the red dust as the Monte Carlo Masters gets underway. We have an interview with the new coach of Joe Wilfred Songer, that's Roger Rashid, who's worked with Leighton Hewitt and Gail Monfils before. They started working together at the start of this year, and we talked to Roger about the the influences he wants to have over the game of Joe Wilfred Songa and how he might be able to take him to the next step. Of course, Songa already a Grand Slam finalist from five years ago. And we'll hear from Roger Rashid to find out what he thinks about him. Catherine Whitaker is alongside me. I'm David Law. Catherine, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. How are you? Are you in a better mood this week? Because uh, I got on the wrong side of you last week, didn't I, with all this uh, frivolous chat? Pick a good topic and I'll be in a good mood. Oh, okay. Well, well, I'll tell you what, this week's topic is uh, clay court memories. Uh, and I, and I, I, I'm on slightly firmer ground there, aren't I? Yes, yes. You've, you've, oh, you've gone back to, to a classic this week. That's fine. Oh, you've you've wow. played it safe. Which Yeah, is... you see, I, I felt like I had to overcompensate after uh, asking you to talk about uh, uh, the, 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 the shirt let's, Jim let's Curry Let's not wore go and... over it again. Come hey, on. Hey, do, do, do you remember that shirt that Andre Agassi had in 1995 <laughs> and when he wore that bandana when he made his comeback? I forgot about that, actually. That was something I wanted to discuss. I actually, when I was working on the ATP circuit, I, I, I presented Andre Agassi with a theory. Um, I, I told him, and this was uh, when I was on the circuit between 1998 and 2001, and when Agassi was making his third comeback in 1998, we were at a tournament in the Czech Republic, and we were walking past some, some posters on the wall, Catherine, and they were showing pictures of him at various stages of his career. One of them was when he won the Australian Open in, in 1995, and he wore a bandana. And I presented with Andre with the theory that his best tennis had been played while wearing a bandana. How about that? Anyone would think you were trying to wind me up, David. No, I mean, I mean this is the honest uh, truth. I, I don't know. what. Surely it's... Uh, what can I possibly say to that that I've makes got evidence, any sense Catherine. whatsoever? I've got, I've got utter evidence. Here's the evidence. In 1995, Andre Agassi won the Australian Open with beating Pete Sampras in the final, wearing this maroon bandana. Right, and the reason he was wearing it is because he hadn't got much hair left. He'd, he'd sort of shaved it all off and revealed himself to be going quite receding. And then, 
Uh, about six months later, he played Wimbledon and he was playing the tennis of his life wearing a white bandana. Uh, he looked like mm. one of those sort of British David, holiday this, makers. This is quite literally the least scientific theory for anything I have. Yeah, but ever no, heard. yeah, you haven't heard my. I haven't finished yet. He he was in, <laughs> he was at Wimbledon and he and he played some sensational tennis and he beat. Uh, he was he was two sets up against Boris Becker wearing this uh, this white bandana, and he was just on fire. And and as soon as he took it off after that in the tournaments after that, it didn't quite happen. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, the, the evidence is there. Uh huh. Yep, if, if you I, I look at I've, it in one I, particular way, the evidence is there, I suppose, yep. yeah. Yeah, I think I've made it worse, haven't I? <laughs> yes. I, I? I set out uh, with, with the intention in episode 37 here of the Tennis Podcast, my goal was to make things better and to try and get on with Catherine this week, but uh, uh, I, I've, I've gone and made it worse. So anyway, let's forget about that part of the podcast. I enjoyed it, nobody else did. Uh, but we've had a lot of tennis this week so far. Catherine, last time we spoke, we were um, we were we were gloating, frankly, from a British perspective about how uh, the British Davis Cup team had had won from two rubbers down, and, and we now won't know who they're going to play in the playoffs. They're up against Croatia away. Yeah, an interesting one. That particularly interesting for you, David. Yes, absolutely, because I have uh, I have Croatian people in my family, and uh, and so it's going to be a, a little bit a little bit tense. And there was a period particular. there when you supported the Croatian football team as well, wasn't there? There, there was. In fact, I, I supported Croatia's football team against England, and I, I mean I know that there's a, there's probably a few people who are thinking what what sort of turncoat are you, Law? But uh, the, there there is a, a bit of a bit of a reason for it, and it's because uh, of, we had a Swedish manager at the time, and I thought that. That was ridiculous. It was conscientious uh, objection, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. But uh, no, uh, obviously we, we we get on with all the Croatian players, Goran Ivanovic and Ivan Lubicic, all great guys, and the team they have now, Marin Cilic, Ivan Dodig, all all good people. But uh, I mean, you know, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting, isn't it, to to see how that one unfolds. I mean, I also I'm also fascinated to see what surface it is on and, and what the conditions are because I spoke to one of the Croatian journalists I know straight afterwards and he said that Croatia have not staged an outdoor Davis Cup tie in Croatia since 1996 and that's the only Ooh. one in their history that they've ever staged. Wow, that's a very interesting stat. Um, yeah. yeah, when's their deadline for having to to select the surface and venue and everything? Yeah, when will I, we know? I, I, I thought that they'd got to book the venue by the end of this month, but um, I mean, wow. some people have raised a couple of question marks over that, so I may be completely barking up the wrong tree there. But um, I mean, I think I think it is likely to be indoors. I mean, Marin Cilic likes to play in those conditions, as does Dodig, and I think that the the one strange thing for me is Croatia in September, which is when the tie will take place, is one of the most beautiful places to be in the world it's it's gorgeous temperatures sort of mid-20s um sunny days and and it does seem a bit of a shame to be going inside it's almost like you know when you when you wake up in the summer Mm. holidays and it's sunny outside and what do you do you shut the curtains and put a film on yeah not there for a holiday though david they'll do whatever they need to do to uh to wait the tie in their favor yes yes i suppose that's true isn't it um and so uh what do you think is going to happen who's going to win I think Croatia are going to win. I'm afraid. Um, well, even with Andy Murray back. Yeah, sorry, I hadn't. Uh, I hadn't factored in Andy Murray. Um, you hadn't I, well, factored it's all, in Andy it's Murray. All about the That's a bit zone. of an omission, Catherine. Sorry, that's a bit of an oversight. 
a brief oversight, yes. Um, it, it all comes down to the doubles then, I think, because I don't doubt that Andy Murray will win his two rubbers. I suspect, I mean, the, the chances are that what, whoever our second player is, you know, rankings-wise, they won't be the favourite for either of their matches. So no, if it goes on true. form, it'll come down to the doubles. And yeah. um, we've got a good doubles pairing. Um, whether it's a good enough doubles pairing, we'll see. But it'll be very exciting, I think. It will. We'll see. Still going with Croatia? Mm. Am I still going with Croatia? No, go on then. I'll go with I'll go with GB. Oh, I see. Indoors. Oh. Hang on a second. Hang on. All it takes on. is a bit of fancy indoors. fancy argument from me. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Croatia are going to have quite a special crowd, I think, for it. Um, no, no, I'm changing my mind. I'm going with Croatia. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm changing. It's so a women's prerogative. I'm changing my mind. Croatia. You've changed your mind three times in the space of I what? Have, yeah. Three minutes. Very. Yeah. That's impressive. Well, it just it just just shows how uh, how close it is, doesn't it? on a knife edge yes. absolutely it's going to be very interesting um, who I think is going to win I think oh dear I think Britain's going to win yeah I think Britain will win if Andy Murray's playing I think they'll pull it out somehow but there we are we'll see uh, it's been a, 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 there have been a few notable results actually because we're, we're going to talk clay court tennis this week Catherine and get the, the memories of, uh, of our listeners on Twitter and there's, there's been some fantastic uh, clay court matches being put up for discussion but you know the reason we're doing that is because Monte Carlo started yesterday we're recording this on Monday and Monte Carlo started yesterday on Sunday and the thing is, the clay court season actually started last week because um, in Houston, uh, John Isner beat Nicholas Almagro in the final. What, what a result that is. I just don't understand John Isner, the tennis player. I mean, he's a lovely bloke. And I interviewed him a few weeks ago in Miami and really liked him. And, and I enjoy watching him play. But I don't understand how a man of six feet, nine inches tall can be better on clay than he is on grass. I just don't get that. No, I don't. I don't. I, I, I can't make any sense of it. I'm afraid. I can't help you out there. Um, I, I would perhaps make the point that the clay in Houston is very different to to the European clay. But even so, even factoring factoring that in, you'd expect Almagro to win that one. But he's he's good on European clay as well. I mean, I, I don't know. He, I, I'm baffled. He's better than you'd expect on Europe in European clay. Yes. Um, I, I I don't know, David. I'm I'm stumped. It's it's barely even a conversation because because I can't I can't really posit any any theories as to uh, to to make sense of 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 John Isner's career to date, really. And, and we where need it's to get to the bottom of this, Catherine. Let's put it out on Twitter. Come on, tell us, tennis podcast listeners, why is John Isner better on clay than he is on grass? And is there a way that he can? He can turn that around because a man of his physical abilities surely should be better on grass than he is. I remember, I remember Todd Martin was the uh, apparently the last uh, American to beat a, a top player on 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 clay um, in in a final, and that was in Barcelona in the, in the nineties. Yeah, and, I mean, um, mean Roddick never no never no. beat anybody of note on clay, did he? I mean, I think that was, I mean, obviously his game wasn't suited to clay at all but I also think it was very much a mental thing with Roddick I mean he just didn't give himself a hope on clay did he 
Um, no, I think I think in his early career he, he was more bullish about it and he mm. just went for it regardless. And he, mm. he was the sort that would run through brick wall. Yeah, but then when he started to get injuries, you know, it was a question of do I overexert my body on clay on a surface when where I have minimal chances of success anyway, or do I do I save up those court hours for to use on a surface where I do stand a chance of winning? So yeah. Yeah, you can't really argue with that logic, I suppose. No, no. Well, it's an interesting one. So do tell us if you've got any Isner theories. We want to hear them because we'd like to see. Well, it was me, wasn't it, who picked John Isner to go all the way to the was it quarterfinals <laughs> yeah. or semifinals last U.S. Open? Oh dear. Maybe we should get onto the talk of uh, uh, predictions again. What was it, Del Potro, Grand Slam finalist? I've said this year, haven't I? And, and was Caroline Nyaki as well? Nyaki even more. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm a, I'm a believer. I think it's going to still happen. It's not happening uh, for uh, for McElroy, is it? No, they're no, both bad... they're both enduring uh, career slumps. Yes, bad old time of it at the U.S. Masters, which was uh, finished last night. Uh, that's one of my bugbears, by the way, Catherine. Why is it that tennis people just drool over golf so much? You know, tennis players and oh yeah, you know they all just talk about golf as though it's the the Te- greatest tennis players thing in the world. or yeah, people, tennis people players, like us behind the scene ex-players administrators media you know I, I, I sort of think if we go to a golf tournament are they talking about tennis like this because it's really annoying me oh I I wasn't quite aware of that level of uh, of devotion to golf on the tennis I mean I know they all I, I, I'm not sure it's unique to tennis if that is the case because I think golf is is the go-to retirement sport, isn't it, of, of of a lot of sports people, not just in tennis. Yeah, it's the one sport where a bloke with a 46-inch waist can p- compete with the one with a 32-inch waist, isn't it? And and a sport where um, age is not necessarily a, a hindrance. So you can retire from your professional career at 32. And, I mean, there, there have been examples of... Um, Scott Draper um, embarked upon a professional golf career, didn't he? You've, I know Evgeny Kofelnikov had an attempt i'm not sure how successful that attempt was as did lendl of course and as Lendl's did lendl daughters yeah. are, are pretty useful players as well and i hey. know that tim henman plays golf with colin montgomery pretty much every week and they have a good old scrap from from what i can gather yeah yeah uh, um the, uh, the 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 old debate catherine tiger woods or roger federer who's the greatest oh uh, roger federer by far Based on, based on um, the natures of of the sport, I, I don't want to take anything away from from Tiger Woods, um, but um, there's no hiding with tennis. You don't see a, a, a tennis tournament is never as open as a golf tournament can be. You know, a golf tournament. It's it's not that unusual for the world numbers one and two, like we've seen at the Masters, to, to... I mean, I suppose it'd be unusual for them not to make the cut, but, you know, it's not unusual for them to just be absolutely nowhere. If you had a tennis tournament where none of the, the, the top four are, are making the semi-finals, that would be extraordinary. I, 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 there's nowhere to hide with tennis, and winning, winning 17 majors in tennis... Um, uh, there's just no detracting from that. They speak for themselves, um, and particularly, particularly Catherine, when your when your opponent can directly influence you as well. You're not just playing against a course. Yeah, and I and I just think you know I, I don't. I, I, this biased. isn't to take anything away from golf because I, I I think tennis is the ultimate sport. You know, I, I think tennis trumps every sport in this respect. But I but I think 
tennis just requires so it, it requires all of the skill that golf requires but it also requires all of the the physicality both in terms of strength agility and endurance that that so many other sports require i mean you have to have to have every, everything and then mental toughness is on, on top of that you know with sport I, I don't i have no personal experience of it apart from a a um, misguided you know the odd terrible game of crazy golf here and there but um I don't I don't doubt the skill required with golf um but I think the same level of skill if not more is required in tennis plus a heck of a lot more on top of that Do you know what a, if you had a, a an equivalent of crazy golf in tennis it basically be chip charging against Rafael Nadal on clay that's crazy. Don't don't belittle crazy golf, David. I mean, there's there's <laughs> definitely a level of skill required there. I mean, yeah, those those ones is. where you have to get it to go around the 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 big wheel and then into a. I mean, <laughs> very good. Um, so anyway, Tiger Woods is on 14 majors, and uh, Roger Federer has won 17. So end of story. Roger Federer is the greatest. So uh, John Isner, and we've talked about him. Tommy Robredo is also a title winner over the last uh, the last week, and notable for the fact, Catherine, that he's had six months out injured. So well done, Tommy Robredo. That that took a lot of guts to come back uh, from the injury he had, and uh, he won the event in Casablanca, beating another big man, uh, Kevin Anderson, another one who's done well on clay there to reach the final that was in three sets the Monte Carlo tournament started yesterday Catherine and what a setting that is uh, I had the the joy of working for four years for the ATP um, and Monte Carlo's country club was my local tennis club for about four years How about get that? you Blimey. yeah do you want to hear some name dropping <laughs> no <laughs> no I, you don't do you uh, but I anyway, think I, I think the missing word in that sentence was more David do you want to hear some more de- name dropping steady i'm not that bad uh, but i mean I, I did play on the court i did play on the center court once i mean wow. i use the word play there should be those you know inverted commas hanging around that word um as uh, as i i did top edge one into the sea and um that was really about as good as it got um but uh, and and I also played a member of the ATP uh, communications staff, uh, Nicola Azani, who was uh, who was working with I was working with at that time. And and honestly, I've never taken a beating like it on a tennis court in my life. Really? You know, against a a looping, top spinning Italian uh, on clay in the Monte Carlo Country Club, with lots of people watching because they 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 seem to find some sort of humour in the fact that this gargantuan English white human being at the far end was trying to play clay court tennis and it, it, you know that's why that's probably why I'm so amazed at John isn't it I just don't get it how can he how can he do it I realize that he's an incredibly good player and I'm rubbish but still it annoys me it, and therefore it should annoy tall people everywhere Absolutely. <laughs> but beautiful tournament, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it is of, of all the ones in the world, I don't think there's a better backdrop than that. No, I've not been, but it certainly looks that way on the telly. It looks uh, stunning, yeah. It does, indeed. And uh, the draw sees the return of Rafael Nadal after the break he had following his three tournaments in a row. The, the, I think he won the... In fact, he won three in a row, didn't he? He won two clay court titles, then he won Indian Wells, then he had a break, and now he's back out there in Monte Carlo trying to win, Catherine, his ninth title it's, in a row. 
That's one of the best stats in tennis at the moment, I think. 42 matches in a row he's won. Hasn't lost at the tournament since he was 16, 10 years ago. Incredible. Incredible, yeah. Is he going to do it? Ninth time lucky? I think he is, yeah. I know he's in Andy Murray's half of the draw, but I'm afraid um, I can only see that match if it happens going one way, really. Again, who's... Possibly Djokovic, but no, I do. I am predicting Rafa Nadal to win his ninth. There we go. Well, Djokovic has has still got question marks over Mm. about whether he even plays because he's due to play on Wednesday. But he he came there. He 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 had the knock up sort of the 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 PR opportunity hit with Andy Murray in Casino Square. But I mean, I think he's he's still going to leave it till last minute because I mean that was a nasty ankle turn he had in that Davis Cup match against the US, wasn't it? Mm. Yes, we'll just just have to wait and see. There's, I mean, yeah, yeah that's that's. I mean, I, I don't. I, I we've got no reason to believe it's a long term injury, but but whether it affects him for Monte Carlo or or means he has to pull out of Monte Carlo, we we don't know yet. Yeah, no, absolutely. What what do you like about clay court tennis, Catherine? Do you like it? I remember once um, uh, a, a, a former British player uh, who I, who I, I won't won't name to spare his blushes but once told me that he didn't like clay court tennis because it gets everywhere i don't i don't think that's incriminating i think you can name that person that sounds like a very no, practical I'm, I'm, I'm thinking not going person to, I'm, I'm not going to name it but it's true isn't it, it? it must it does, be it, really annoying having to wash clay out of your clothes i, it I does think that sounds like a very, very sensible individual yeah if well, you're, doing, do you it, like if you're it? doing your own washing then that is it's an issue do you remember? Yeah. yeah. Um, do I, I? I do like it. Yes, I think it um, it sorts sorts the wheat wheat from the chaff. I think it's um, a supreme test of uh, well, of everything really, but particularly on the mental and physical side. Um, yeah, I, I I love to see a, a long slogging battle. You know, I like seeing five and a half hour matches and. Uh, and uh, and you know clay particularly the french open obviously where they're playing five sets it tends to provide all of that every year and uh, it's 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 a special part of the season i think my wife likes uh, clay court tennis because she 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 says the the red socks that you get uh, at, at the end are sort of like a badge of honor you know you know you've been out on a clay court then and uh, i don't like it because i can't get it out i don't you know. Well, yeah, as I say, very, very, it gets everywhere. Yeah. That's a very He was fair right, point. that player. He was right. <laughs> anyway, I love clay court tennis because uh, I, I love the, str- the sort of chess-like nature of it and the way you see the strategy build and, and the fact that you can't just hit through people. I, I love all of that. We've asked for some, some memories, Catherine, on Twitter, at Tennis Podcast. Do get your uh, your, your uh, comments into us. Any questions you have, we'll happily um, receive them and, and try to answer them if we can. But... Uh, at Tennis Podcast, you've been telling us your favourite clay court matches, marathons, wars over the years. There's a few that are here, Catherine, I have that uh, that really do bring back some memories. Anthony says the Songa against Djokovic semi-final in 2012 at Roland Garros. What a match that was. Difficult to watch if you were a Djokovic fan, though. And uh, yes, it was uh, it was particularly tense that one i remember uh james barrett says roger federer against tommy haas in Roland garros in 2009 federer was two sets down three four 30 40 and he hit an inside out forehand yeah. onto the line to save break point 
and won the tournament. The yeah. only time he's ever won. That was going to be that was going to be my memory. Uh, that that's definitely a standout, without doubt. Unbelievable, isn't it? To think that's what I love about tennis as well: the scoring system and the way one shot like that you can kind of think back to and think that was the moment. That was the moment that history changed. Well, yes, I suppose so. Had that gone a different way, Roger Federer would would well. He might have subsequently, but no, it, as it stands, he wouldn't be uh, a um, a Grand Slam winner, a Grand Slam in the sense of having won all four all four majors. And that, that would put a very different complexion on the debate of whether he's the greatest ever, because given that there are players that do have the Grand Slam in their pocket, I, I think that's a prerequisite to be included in that discussion, really. I mean, Pete Sampras is very often excluded from from that discussion and I think that's because he didn't ever win the French. Yeah, best he ever did was uh, reach the semi-finals in 1996 mm. and lost to Yevgeny Kafelnikov. I always remember though that year. It was the year when uh, when his uh, his coach Tim Gullickson died and um he he actually beat on the way to the to the semi-finals he beat Todd Martin, Sergi Bergera who was a two-time champion and Jim Courier who was a two-time champion. And I mean, I was I was just spellbound by the level of his play that year. Um, but he eventually ran into Kafelnikov, and he was just playing on fumes, Sampras that year. Um, and uh, and that was the one year he didn't win Wimbledon. So uh, it shows how I think um, clay court tennis and French Open can take it out of you. Mm. Um, and it's so difficult to win them both. You know, I mean, to think that Nadal actually managed to win the French Open. Queens and then Wimbledon in 2008. I mean, just mind-boggling. Yeah, staggering achievement, absolutely. Phil says, um, considering that they are the new rivalry, Murray against Djokovic in Rome in 2011 was three world-class sets of tennis. Yeah. And I, I think that, I think he's right there. There were a few people who mentioned that. You know, that Djokovic was just on that incredible run and yet Murray managed to just live with him for, for, for much of that match. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, that was midway through. I mean, Djokovic was in his absolute pomp, wasn't he? That was when he hadn't lost a match all season. And uh, there were a couple of points there where where Murray really could have done it. Not to say that he should have any regrets from, from that match because <laughs> he came closer than anybody else had that season. So, yeah, uh, Michael Johnson agrees. He says uh, Novak... Not, had not, hang on, not Michael Johnson, the... The 1996 Olympic gold medalist, Michael Johnson. Could be, could be. Could God, be the Manchester be, City midfielder be... who, uh, recently written, who recently got dumped out of Manchester City. Who knows? I'd, I'd take either of those as listeners, really. Yeah. I'd prefer the former, I think. I don't, I don't think it's either of them. We've, we've got a better one. We've got Michael Johnson, the tennis podcast listener. But actually, if Michael Johnson, the, uh, the world record holder athlete, fancies listening to the tennis podcast, he's welcome. He can come on. He can come on the show anytime he likes. Novak at his very peak and Andy running him damn close, he says. Magical. Uh, we've also got Dan reminding us of Robin Soderling hitting the cover off the ball to beat Rafael Nadal in arguably the biggest upset of all time. I mean, you know, we... we, we had that debate, didn't we, about Lucas Russell coming out of nowhere and beating Nadal at Wimbledon last year. But if you think about it, on clay, to beat Nadal mm. in that run, I mean, it's a bit like Krychek beating Sampras in that 96 yeah. Wimbledon that we've talked about, you know, interrupting a run of seven Wimbledon titles. Um, I remember, I can't, I can't remember what business I had 
to tend to that could have been so important. But anyway, I wasn't I wasn't watching that match. You weren't watching I wasn't Catherine watching. Whittaker. I was I was following the scores on my on uh, online um, using my phone, and I remember checking at the end and I thought there'd been a mistake I thought it was broken I refreshed the page over and over and over because <laughs> I, I just I didn't think that was possible I just assumed it must have been a mistake that's, uh, that's very- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Brilliant. <laughs> and then there was the dawning realisation that that had actually happened and I hadn't been watching. Wow. And I call myself Robert's, a tennis fan. Uh, yes, you, I don't know. I think we're going to have to replace Catherine Whittaker as a presenter here. She's not dedicated enough. She's not watching every single match that ever got played, like we have to as requirements for this show. Robert uh, has said the women's final in 1985 of the French Open, extremely high quality, both from Chris Everton, Martina Navratilova. Grueling battle with lots of finesse. Absolutely. And cool. Their matches took a while. I mean, OK, Martina shortened some of the rallies by coming to the net, but uh, it was slow back in the those days wasn't it yeah i mean no comment before before i was born so i, oh, I yeah. don't think it would be Sorry. appropriate for me to comment you were minus one <laughs> weren't you God, I, I sometimes forget Catherine's age you see because i'm usually the infantile one and uh, Catherine tries to keep a level of decorum uh, but anyway jane reminds us jane gray this is reminds us of the uh, steffi graf against martina hingis french open final she can't quite remember the year well i can i can remind her it's 1999 and it had everything she said and, and quite right she was as well because do you remember Hingis 
actually rounding the net and circling a mark on the other side of the court. And the crowd went utterly ballistic at her. I certainly do, yeah. Was that the one where she had... I get confused. There, there was another French Open final involving Martina Hingis. Obviously, was she, the, was she against Capriati? Was it? Was she did the underarm serve. No, that was the same match. Same uh, match. Where she Hingis did the underarm she, serve. She did an underarm serve, and she did it right after that, uh, that right. rounding of the net, and it really did not go down well at all. And she, she just sobbed, didn't she? After the match, she just sat and sobbed. Yeah, and, I felt uh, very sorry for her. Actually. Mm, well, she was very young, wasn't she? Very, very. What would she have been? Eighty or 19 perhaps yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, she which was is the, tough she, and Graf was always the sentimental favourite and of course at that tournament um, her future husband Andre Agassi won the men's tournament as well so and they ended up that was about when they were getting together um, so uh, it was a great story but it was quite quite hard to watch if you if you appreciate the tennis of Martina Hingis she wasn't very popular with the crowds at that particular time um, Carl Calaguas, apologies Carl if I pronounced that wrong, which I suspect I have, Um, Federer against Djokovic, the 2011 French Open semi-finals, Djokovic on a 41-match winning streak, and Federer winning the fourth set and wagging the finger, do you remember that? Yes, the uncharacteristic finger waggle from Roger Federer. I loved that. That was so good. That was sort of get back in your box, Novak. Yeah, I have to say I loved that too. Yeah, that was a rare a rare glimpse from, from Federer. Yeah, we've got um, Neogenic who says soddling against Benito. This is very specific. 2008, third round, Roland Garros. Never seen someone lose it so badly after messing up the second set. Benito won one six seven six six one six. Love, my word, that was a meltdown from Sodling. Uh, do you think? A... Do you think he googled that exact score, or do you think it is burned into his memory? I think I'd he like was to, I'd like to know. I think Neogenic was courtside. Neogenic, do get in touch and let us know. I'm not even sure if you're a man or a woman, but I get in touch and let us know. I am very impressed if that yeah, exact score line is is emblazoned on your on your memory. That's, yes. that's impressive. You should get a yes. prize. In fact, you might be a candidate. We don't have any prizes to give Catherine. out, but but maybe we can think of one. Yes, we'll we'll think of one. Matthew Lumby uh, says the Selish against Graf Paris uh, 1992 final, 10-8 final set for Monica, and four weeks later, Steffi Graf thrashed her at Wimbledon. Oh, I remember that as if it was yesterday. And uh, Graf crying in her in her sort of runner-up speech uh, in Roland Garros, and uh, the crowd just on their feet giving her a standing ovation and. Oh, what a memory it was as well. Um, Neogenic also reminds us of uh, a WTA match. Uh, here's another random one. <laughs> Serana Kostea beating Yelena Jankovic 9-7 in the third in 2009 at the French Open. Kostea just zoned the last two sets whilst JJ was hanging on and on. Crikey, that is some serious knowledge, isn't it? Yep. I, I I can't I can't say that lives long in my memory, but I don't that nine <laughs> nine seven in the third. I don't doubt that that was a a brilliant match. Yeah, we've got Simon Curtis uh, telling us about Andre Agassi coming from two sets down to beat Andre Medvedev in the final. Yeah, who could forget mm. that one? And him sort of crying his eyes out, looking up at Brad Gill, but following um, it for sheer drama. Could I add um, submit entries of the? Agassi match against Sebastian Grosjean when uh, he was two sets love up and uh, was he two sets love up and Bill Clinton came into the stands and Agassi just 
just lost it and, and, he, uh, and he eventually claims lost that the that match. had no effect on him, doesn't he? Yeah, well... I don't believe him. Yeah, <laughs> I don't believe him either. And uh, also for sheer drama, the um, 2003... No, 2004 final between Gaudio and uh, and Correa. Yeah. I know, not always the highest quality tennis and in, and in many ways a very bizarre match, but, um, but definitely not short on drama. No, and do go back to episode, I think it was two, episode two of the Tennis Podcast and listen to an interview with Gaston Gaudio in which Catherine asked him all about that final. And he was Uh, very candid as well. Yeah, he was indeed. Stephen Craig, uh, Rafael Nadal against uh, Juan Martin Del Potro, the Davis Cup final in 2011, a makeshift clay court in Seville FC Stadium, a mad crowd, mad tennis, wow. Have you got any more, Catherine, you were trying to... Shoehorn no, in there no, before no, I carry no. on. I've, I think I've said my piece. Okay, all right. Uh, Elspeth uh, says uh, Djokovic against Nadal in Madrid in 2009. Crikey, that was a four-hour, uh, three-court match, three-set match, Catherine. Four hours. Imagine that. And she says she felt sorry for Djokovic when uh, he said he would bring two rackets next time to play against Nadal. <laughs> yeah, I can see where he's coming from there. A um, couple more people mentioning the Federer Soderling 2009 final. As much as anything, because of the the uh, the history that it made for Roger Federer, it completed his career. Hetty Knox is the one who's uh, offered that as a, as a suggestion. Alistair Walker's mentioning Nadal against Djokovic in Madrid 2009, the one we just talked about. Rafa refusing to lose, and that's absolutely right. That's exactly what he did. Hey, well, hang on, I've 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 sorry sorry to interrupt, David, but I've just thought of another entry that I would like to submit. Sorry. Is that, is that allowed? Um, no. I've just remembered that until the the uh, famous Isner Mahu match, it wasn't the previous longest ever Grand Slam match at Roland Garros uh, between Santoro and Clement. Yeah, all right, all right. I win. You, you didn't give me the chance to show off my memory there, David. Exactly, <laughs> that's what I'm me. here for. <laughs> five, five. Five and a half hours, five hours forty-five, something no, like that. More was than, it more than six hours? More than six hours. Yeah, I think that that deserves a mention. Yeah, okay. Well, they've slaved away for long enough, so fair enough, yeah. No, good memory, Catherine. I'm impressed. Sarah uh, says the French Open final in 2008, a completely different type of match, an absolute demolishing by Rafael Nadal on Roger Federer. That was as chastening a defeat as I've ever seen Federer take, and I don't know about you, Catherine. Yeah, well, all of his chastening defeats seem to have been against, against Nadal, don't they? I mean... Uh, yeah, um, yeah. What, what more is there to say? Yeah, well, that was in the past. Hold uh, n- uh, on a second. We've got David Rowbury, who says Curry against Agassi in the French Open final 1991. Big Jim had the swagger and the red-stained baseball cap, and he also came back from, I think, two sets to one down against Agassi in that match, and that was when we were still wondering whether Agassi would ever win a slam, and, of course, he did so just over a year later, winning the Wimbledon title in 1992. Uh, win or lose I win that's a Twitter handle Catherine says uh, the one where Nadal didn't win is his favourite memory oh there we are Uh, 
Aaron says uh, Fanini beating Montagnus in the 2011 French Open fourth round. A true five-set epic with the Italian warrior, warrior fighting through the pain to win. Stefan Webster. I remember that, yeah. Oh, do you? Stefan Webster says uh, Federer against Djokovic in 2011. We've heard about that one. The old master wags a finger. Absolutely. And one final one from Ian Warren, who says the 1984 final. Lendl coming back from two sets today to beat John McEnroe in five sets. Of and, course. Uh, well. no, nobody said uh, Ed Bergen Chang. No, nobody said wow. that. And nobody said my personal favourite, which is Sergi Bruguera against Jim Courier when Bruguera won the title for the first time in 1993, Three. I think. Yeah. Three. And, uh, and came back from, I think, two sets to one down to beat, uh, to beat Courier in the final. Absolutely sensational memory, that. Oh, dear, I can't wait till the clay court season now. Let's get it on the TV. <laughs> well, it will be on the TV. It is probably yeah. on the TV as we speak. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll forget let's, the podcast. I'm going to go and watch. and go and watch some. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, well, that's about it for, uh, for the clay court chat, Catherine. Can we talk to Roger Rashid now? Yeah, by all means. Okay, well, Roger Rashid worked uh, with Leighton Hewitt uh, in 2005, took him to the Australian Open final. He subsequently worked with Gael Monfils uh, and got him to Grand Slam semi-finals. And at the start of this year, he began working with Joe Wilfred Songer, the French player who had been to the Australian Open final in 2008 and had been to Wimbledon semi-finals as well, beating Roger Federer from two sets to love down at Wimbledon. And as Roger tells us in his interview, he's one of the few players that's actually beaten all of the top four at Grand Slam tournaments. Joe Wilfred Songa this last week signed up to play in the Aegon Championships at Queen's Club, where he reached the final in 2011. And we spoke to his coach, Roger Rashid, and asked him what he expected to happen in their relationship. It's like jumping into a new car. I think, you know, everything's... Uh, um, you try and see how how the combination is going to work and make sure you actually get the right uh right ingredients to sort of to, to obviously to benefit joe and uh so you know we've, we've we've found each other extremely comfortable as far as our engagement and um yeah it's it's, it's, it's exciting for both of us i remember when you worked with leighton hewitt and gail monfish you you developed these relatively sort of wiry physiques into pretty formidable physical specimens you don't have to do that in the same way I imagine with a guy like Songa he's a big guy already so what do you need to do yeah, it looks a little, little different when you look at their physical uh, attributes so obviously you've got to look at them individually and, and work out what um, where you can sort of push the envelope and um, in regards to their their physical component um, yeah Joe's a big he's a big strong kid so there's but there's other ways you can transfer um, what he's got there and actually create a bigger uh, better you know Joe Wilford Songa as far as um, the athletic and what he brings to the court so uh, there's a few things we're doing um, so it's an exciting I mean it's, it's uh, exciting for Joe as well to take all that on board Have you had to get him to lose any weight? You might have to have a look at that <laughs> you, you might have to have a look at that I mean I think I just think that the extra workload there's, there's with me comes an extra workload there's no doubt about that so you probably naturally would uh, you know get it, get into some uh, in, in a different type of uh, condition as well so he's probably yeah, he's probably he's dropped he definitely dropped some weight there's no doubt about that but based on the, the, the time you spent with him so far just give us an insight into how his mind works because he's got all all the game he's got an incredible sort of athletic physique how does his mind work I mean he, he seems quite a, a sort of relaxed character yeah look he's relaxed I mean but he's he knows um, 
the good thing is he's you know being spending time on his own probably spent too long on his own there's no doubt about that um but initially he wanted to spend some time on his own just to do things for himself and actually um experience life as a tennis player and making your own decisions whereas from a young young boy he never actually had that he just had coaches 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 and so you know you, you got to give someone respect for that for doing that especially in the top end of the game because that's when you're sort of normally like someone around you and some support so um he's a you know he's he's relaxed he sees things very clearly and um and then that's that's a good thing and and now he's got a the biggest thing that he found being on his own is just the the love that he has for tennis you know he he said to me my the biggest thing i found out is just i love the game i love playing tennis and so um so he he knows it's very clear in in his passage and he he wants to now uh step on the right stones and make every day a real a day to remember as far as doing all the right things and and i think with that you know he needed to get that engagement with somebody that was going to be able to help to you know live that journey with him i remember a year ago when Ivan lendl started to work with with andy murray he said it's going to take six to nine months before what we work on comes to fruition and actually becomes something really successful what do you suspect it's going to take for you to really get your imprint on him over? Yeah, look, I, th- I think so. I think you know, obviously, you've got to get him to buy into um, to buy into your product, uh, to, to what you're trying to do and develop develop the athlete. But um, and I agree with and I agree with Ivan. It takes time. You can't just all of a sudden click your fingers. Look, if the, if you know, we've made some tr- quite um, some interesting changes. And uh, what are they? Uh, you can watch and, and decide. <laughs> you can have a look at those and see if you can come up with any. But um, so, but you know, to benefit him, and uh, but you know, take some time on the court doing that, and, and you know, whether it's off the court, on the court, all those sort of things. So we've discussed all that moving forward, and who know who knows when it it, it can come early. I um, mean, if it you know, because these guys are also extremely highly talented, so they pick up things and they they can they can move things pretty quickly because of that talent. Um, but. You know the real where it's really solidified is, is down the track. There's no doubt about that. So, so when you engage in this process, I think you know for Joe, as I said to him, I said, this isn't a six months campaign. It's not a three month campaign. It's not about getting some property and then going with it and, and thinking you're going to you know change things your your way. It's, it's a it's a group buy in for a, a long period of time, uh, whether that be two, three years, whatever it is, um, and then see what happens after at the end of that. I remember when, when you worked with Gail Monfils, I remember asking you what his ceiling was, what his potential was. I think he, he got to a sort of semi-finals of slams, and, and, and that was about where we were. What, what do you think's Joe's ceiling? Well, Joe's obviously been, been to a final already, so, so he's actually, you know, and I think, you know, deep down, I mean, when you, when you look at the players now, Joe's also beaten all the top four guys in slams, um, you know, throughout his career. So he's not afraid to get into that space. Um, and he's got that game that actually can have a real impact over the five-set period where he can take the game away from you and um, like we've seen him do you know, at certain times in, in the last couple of years at Wimbledon at certain stages. and uh, So I think you know, he, he definitely, I believe he's a person that can grab a Grand Slam. There's no doubt about that. He's, 20, he's 27 years of age, but he missed you know, 19, 20 and 21, really. He played five weeks in each of those years, roughly. Um, so when you take his age and you look what he's missed, that's a, that's a 24-year-old missed three years of full-time travel and all that sort of stuff so that's strain and mental strain so he's a very youthful athlete playing tennis at, with, that, with the number near his name and I'd forget all about that so I figure his, his best years potentially can be ahead of him if he's really ready to engage that in, in the mental side of it so and the good thing is he believes he can win a Grand Slam um, and 
he needs to show me that on the practice court. He showed me that in the matches full-time, all year round, and then he has that chance of uh, really engaging that process because it's a, it's a tougher year at the moment. Do you want to see him at the net a lot? Uh, yeah, look, I, well, he, he, he comes forward. I mean, he's one of those guys that transitions beautifully, so he knows he knows the net. He likes to be there. Um, so, you know, we'll be, you know, obviously be exploring ways of actually using his assets more often than not. Um, you know, to, so, so does that see him at the net? Sure, we'll probably see him at the net at, um, at certain parts of matches and, and, uh, and trying to use that in a better way. So, it's, you know, it's a lot of it's decision making, you know. So, it's, uh, you hit a lot of balls in, in a tennis match, and it's about how many times you can start making the right decisions more often. And, and, he's, and he's seeing that as well, just showing him a lot of stuff. And uh, look, look, it's exciting. Who knows where it goes? I, you know, as I said to him, I said, the biggest thing in, in my world is you, you step out and you, you offer something big each day um, on the practice court and in, in your job and whatever happens there at least you can look each other in the eye and you can be really honest about you know, your appraisal and what you've done and, and if that means success as far as trophies, great but I think, you've, I think you'll generally have success because you're clear minded about what you've done final point is that it just strikes me that by the time we get to Wimbledon when you've had a good 6-8 months with him yeah. a surface he likes he could be very dangerous at Wimbledon. Yeah, he, he could be. I mean, he can be dangerous. I think he's dangerous anywhere. Um, but Wimbledon, obviously, um, you know, obviously because that's just his natural nature on that on that sort of on that court. But uh, you know, our job's to be dangerous all over the place um, more often, uh, more often than not. So you know, to bring that level up a lot more, and, and that's what the top four. That, that's what they give you. Uh, they they're dangerous every day, virtually every day, and when they're not. They're pretty dangerous, and uh, I think Joe can definitely sit in that space, just giving him that belief that that's where he he can sit, and that's and, but it's a, but it's an attitude and it's a mentality, and it starts on the practice court and, and everywhere around him. And, and the good thing is he's he's really willing and, and wanting to embrace that. Sure, we see some great talent. He's already a he's already a very very good player. There's no doubt about that. We're not rewriting the you know redeveloping the wheel or anything, but um, it's just adding that little percentage that might uh, might make him into something very very, you know, very very good so there's Roger Rashid Catherine talking to us uh, during the Australian Open it was in fact uh, in January uh, when they just got together uh, Songa and Rashid I mean I, I love watching Songa not only do I, I, I love watching him I, I enjoy watching him interviewed I mean when he did an interview about him signing up for Queens he's just got a big smile on his face he's just so likable I and mean, I think he's one of the most likable players that comes to Britain that isn't one of the top four probably the most likable yes, and yes. you know but but he's been a bit disappointing since 2008 for me I mean there have been spells where he's where he's moved it on and he reached the final of the ATP World Tour finals but I just thought he would have reached another slam final by now I don't know about you I I sort of agree with you however so do you think he ought to have broken into the top four? Do you think he is a... Given the state of the top four at the moment, I I think it's unfortunate for him that he, he reached that Grand Slam final at the very start of his career, which obviously set a precedent, and not having reached another one since suggests that he is disappointed since then. However, he's consistently top eight... Um, he's consistently reaching Grand Slam semi-finals. He does beat the members of the top four every now and then. I don't think he is, frankly, quite as good a tennis player as those top four. So I think possibly he is where he 
should be. I yeah, think, you might be right. I think you if he gets right. a slice of luck, I definitely think he's capable of, of reaching a slam final or winning one. But I definitely think a slice of luck is required because yeah. with, with the top four as they are, you know, probably the, the best top four there's ever been, I mean, he's not as good as them, is he? Uh, which I is just, no I insult. Remember, I mean, his, no, nobody his, is. His top level, Catherine, and I often say this about Federer, I always say Federer's top level is the top level. But I, I, I think that, Jock, that Songer has a top level that is right up there. And if he plays to it, he's capable of just taking a match out of his opponent's hands. And I, I think back to that 2008 dismantling of Rafael Nadal on the Rod Laver Arena. And, uh, you know, it was the sort of tennis that we'd seen from Marit Safin against Sampras in the US Open final in 2000. It was the sort of tennis that Del Potro ended up playing in the, the final of the US Open in 2009. Just lights out tennis, as they like to call it, in the United States, and as, as if there was nothing that Nadal could have done. There were periods when, I, when we were watching the, the, the footage of of Songer against Murray in the, the Queen's final last week when we were preparing for, for, for him to be announced for, for that tournament. He, he just... He, he he played tennis that day that Murray said, and these were Murray's words, he said, Joe was Joe was playing a different sport to me for a set and a half. And it just it frustrates me a little bit when somebody's capable of reaching that level if they can't sustain it. I, I suspect but, it may just be unsustainable. Yeah, well, well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it's uh, Lucas Rosser is obviously the extreme of it, but it's it's a, it's a, a in a small way, a bit like Lucas Russell. He he takes risks in his game. You know, he's not a percentage player. I think he does incredibly well to achieve the level of consistency that he does, given the nature of his game. You know, you could you could compare him to someone like Fernando Gonzalez, who who again was a consistently top ten player. But I still don't. I still think Songa has exceeded him in terms of uh, consistency and being a you know a top contender. Um, so I, I think when you're taking the chances that he is, you're you're taking some of the control out of out of your own. He's taking some of the control out of his own hands. You know, he's relying on luck for it to be a day when they're just going in rather than just just going out. And yeah, it's it's a kind of. Murray hiring Lendl move, leave no stone left unturned in your career. You know, it, it's 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 going to be hard work for him under Roger Rashid. He's going to be made to be put through some pretty unpleasant training stuff, you know, to get to to the level of fitness that Roger Rashid wants him at. And, and I actually respect that. Absolutely. He's taking himself out of his comfort zone by, by employing Rashid. And I think... It was it was probably a question of whether this was exactly his thought process, but you know, sitting down and thinking, God, do I want to retire in five years and think, I, I, you know, I could have I could have tried that, but I didn't. Um, you know, he it, it's about maximising your potential, isn't it? And uh, I always think the most tragic cases are not, you know, the Tim Henmans, who yes, he didn't win Wimbledon, but I believe he absolutely maximised his his talent. The tragic cases are. Are the ones that that don't achieve the what what their talent promises early in their career, and and uh, I respect his decision, you know, to, to 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 take what control he can over that by 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 making that coaching choice. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And, and on that point, actually, Catherine, talking of, of extreme talents, who we wonder whether they will uh, come to fruition. Grigor Dimitrov beat Xavier Melis six two six three the other day. 
that's the sort of result that makes you wonder. Is you know? it? Where's Avi yeah. Melise ranked at the moment? Well, Come yeah, on, but, David. But it, I mean, it's the sort of thing... Grigor Dimitrov sort of... is tw- 22. He needs to be beating top 10 players. Oh, yeah, but you've got to beat who's in front of you, haven't you? And it'd be very easy on clay to come up against an old pro like Xavier Melise and throw in a bit of a stinker. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, that's obviously a very good victory. I'm just saying, let's let's keep our hair on, shall we? Let's not get overexcited. Okay, yeah, if I can stop myself receding to go with my grey hair, then I'll, I'll keep my hair on. But... Uh, Absolutely. I'll have to calm down, but uh, Grigor Dimitrov still has it in him, I think. What do you think, Catherine? Final final remark? On Grigor Dimitrov? Yeah. Of course he's got it in him. He's ridiculously talented. It's just a question of whether he actually does it. Did you know, Ivan Lendl said uh, to Simon Briggs in the Daily Telegraph in an interview in Miami, he said, he said if he could sustain it, he'd be the world number one. Oh, the, the, the sort I, of form that he comes out with uh, in early on in matches against Murray. I I absolutely believe that. I think in terms of talent, he's he's at, at the very top. Um, it's very exciting, isn't it? Very exciting. Oh well, we, yes, we it's have... been exciting for what is it, three, four years now? Yes, but yeah. you know, there's still time. There's Our still time. He's only is a being young spread chin. awfully thin. <laughs> Indeed, Catherine, we've got on this week. It wasn't too bad, was it? We didn't argue. Uh, no, no, we've done well. Excellent. Well, we've managed to get through about best part of 45 minutes to, a, to, to an hour without having a row. So we'll do that after we've finished the tennis podcast instead. Hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back with another instalment next week and we'll speak to you soon. Well, actually, that's not quite the end of episode 37 of the tennis podcast, because a couple of hours after Catherine and I finished recording, I remembered we hadn't mentioned the Fed Cup. What an omission that was. So a big apology to all the Fed Cup teams, in particular from a British point of view, Judy Murray's team of Laura Robson, Joe Conter and Kiyothavong and Elena Baltacha. They're in Argentina this week for a World Group 2 playoff at the weekend. Jonathan Overham will be in Buenos Aires to bring live coverage of the tie on 5 Live Sports Extra. And we'll be back here next week on the Tennis Podcast to have a chat about it. So speak to you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 